This is Richard Lett, and you're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Do you think you're the next Russell Peters? Why not find out by performing on our Amateur Night? Visit yuckyucks.com for information on how to sign up. Amateur Night is only available at participating Yuck Yucks clubs. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. What's going on, my lady Yuckamaniacs? This is your host, Jake Kirsch. Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. I am broadcasting from Toronto this week. And uh, very close to not having an episode this week. I was on a train for three days. Oh, by the way, I'm sitting in a, in a, in a, it's a pretty beautiful condo uh, in downtown Toronto. And uh, I'm looking right over my shoulder here at the skyline of Toronto. I didn't even realize how beautiful this is. But I'm looking over my shoulder right now. I've got this uh, gorgeous Airbnb in Toronto. And I'm sitting here with none other than uh, the man himself, Colin Hollett. Colin, how are you? I'm wicked, man. He's wicked, everybody. Uh, yeah, Colin Holliday over here in Toronto, hanging out. I came up uh, to visit head office to uh, do some showcases out here. And uh, my first time in Toronto, I've been Ubering the shit out of this town. Uh, we've Ubered everywhere, and it's been it's been dynamite. So, uh, but uh, I, I I took a train out here to Toronto this week, and it's a three day. For those of you who have never been on the Yuck Yucks Express, it's a three day train ride from Edmonton. And and first, just let me explain this entire fucking debacle uh i initially booked a flight from calgary to edmonton to then catch a train from edmonton to toronto because i wanted to see the countryside and and yuck yucks was 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 beautiful enough to make it happen for me so i i I booked my flight to edmonton but i book it on the wrong day and i don't realize this until i'm uh trying to check in the night before my flight and it says you cannot check in unless you're 24 hours before your flight and so i'm thinking there what are you talking about so my girlfriend says hey what you, uh you booked the wrong you booked the wrong day didn't you i said no of course not i'm a man i know what i'm doing i looked online sure enough my ticket was 7 days later than when i was supposed to book it um so i had to pay a cancellation fee and then i had to rebook my ticket and that was a $175 change fee. And uh, yeah, so I ended up paying $300 to go to Edmonton. Um, as you can tell, I'm a master of money. Very wise, very wise. So I'm not allowed to handle travel anymore, apparently. Uh, got to Edmonton, got on the train. The train was about an hour late. Uh, and, and for those of you who haven't seen my post on Facebook, I, I suggest that you go there and, and, and read it. I had, a very, I had a very special moment on that train. Uh, I got there and... Things just started off bad. The train was about an hour late. I'm sitting in a Greyhound station next to uh, next to the Via Rail station. Uh, nothing against Greyhound, but there are some real fucking characters in there at about 11 o'clock at night. Not the most savory, and uh, it was just like watching an episode of Cops. There's you got prostitution, you've got drugs, you've got foot chases, you've got kids running around with rat tails. You've got every type of entity in that bus station. It was incredible to watch. Uh, And then, you know, of course, the herd thins, and then uh, everybody gets on the train. And I did not realize how god-awful it is to sleep on those things. Uh, I was shaking around like like I was like a martini. I was just shaking in my bed. And uh, I would intermittently, I think the first night I slept for probably about an hour uh, in total. But I kept getting up. 
And uh, for those of you who haven't been on a train before, it's a real experience. Uh, when you're trying to sleep at night and the boxcar is just like back and forth and rocking all over the place. It's like it's worse than a ship. I would wake up intermittently throughout the night and I just roll up my shutter window and I'd look out in the window and we would be going. It looked like it was 100 miles an hour. It was insane. And some part of my weird brain was like, okay, anxiety has kicked in. There's fucking nobody behind the wheel. This train is out of control. It's flying. Have you seen those those movies where it's just the train goes flying out of control down the tracks? There's no one behind it. And then there's like a guy on the roof of the train trying to make his way to the front, you know, caboose or, or the, the front, you know, train engine to stop it, to put on the brakes before we go flying over the overpass. That's what it felt like. I thought, Jesus Christ, we're all going to die. And this is a just one big conspiracy to kill me on the train. But no, we survived. Uh, day two was even better. Uh, actually, day two ended up being uh, the best out of uh, all three days on that trip. Um, I ended up meeting a lot of good people. I had dinner last night with two people from Germany and a guy from Switzerland. And I didn't know what the hell was being said at supper. That was interesting. Uh, but it was a good time. And I look back and I, I'm very grateful for that experience. And, and I just I had an absolute blast. And I got to head office today and I got to meet everybody. And I'm hanging out with my buddy Colin Hollett at the condo. And we're hanging out. We're looking for some open mics around here. Uh, and we're preparing ourselves for the week ahead. There's beer to be drank. There's show to be. There's shows to be entertained by. There's comics out there that that need our love and support. And uh, I get to hang out with everybody at Yuck Yucks, which is dynamite. So I'm going to get on with the interview today. The interview today is is, is a fascinating one. It's uh, it's uh, it's a friend of mine. Turner Sparks is the uh, founder of Kung Fu Comedy in China. And I know that I had an interview once before with Andy Curtin. The other guy kind of behind Kung, Kung, Kung Fu comedy. But, uh, but Turner, was, Turner Sparks was, was, was really like, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the main guys over there along with Andy and, and kind of founded this entire thing. And, and uh, obviously this grew into something huge. They've got, you know, uh, places all over China. They've got a comedy club over there. And, and, uh, but we, we also talk a little bit about his ice cream truck business that was in China and what happened to that. And, and we have a really good conversation. And, and he's a hell of a guy. And he's, uh, I can't wait to bring him up to Canada. And uh, this week I sit down with Turner Sparks. He's in New York now. So we can talk about the Chinese government, which is safe. And, uh, and we can talk about business, the, the comedy business. And, and uh, there's no one better to, to, to do that with than, than Turner Sparks. So, so uh, prick up those ears, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, sit down, fasten up those seatbelts. We're going to go on a ride. Let's go talk to Turner Sparks. way easier when i was in china it was like i've tried to do skype podcasts from china before right and that's why i was like we should just wait till i get to new york because it's always a disaster like the the, the internet's slow you know yeah, yeah like out. what is that though because i know that when i talked to to andy i was like he was very cautious as to what he could say and what he couldn't say and i don't know if that was like a plan thing or if that's just normal like in people when they're in china <laughs> they don't they usually don't talk yeah illy well, of the government right yeah, those are two different things. One is they just slow down all the internet. That's what I heard. Yeah, because they because they want you to use. Um, they basically want to make it so annoying to use foreign sites that you just end up using Chinese sites. Oh no yeah. way! 
So they don't slow down Chinese internet. They slow down anytime you try to access a server abroad or any company that's run abroad. They, they, and wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's as much of a control, like controlling, because they can control their own companies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm fine to talk about this on the podcast too if you want to do that. I don't care. The problem with Andy is Andy still. So I used to run have companies in China, which we can talk about. But right. now that I don't anymore, I can say whatever I want. But if you do, they'll come at like there's a risk that they could come after your business if you say something they don't like. Yeah, and 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 we're going to get into some of that because I know that you had a personal yeah. experience with some of that stuff. But but is it like is yeah. it really like? I mean, how long did you, okay, well, you know what, actually, let's start back at the beginning. <laughs> let's start back at the beginning, man, okay. because I'm fascinated with your story. Now? What's that? Are we doing the podcast? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I hit record a little while oh, ago, but okay. yeah, 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 we're on, man, we're on. Um, uh, But yeah, I mean, like, you've got a fascinating background, man, because how long were you in China for? Yeah, I was in China for 12 years. 12 so years. I moved there 2004. Right. Holy shit. And yeah, I just went after college. I was going to stay for a year and teach English. Right. right. uh, Which seems to be a big, like a pretty popular path. A lot of people go over there to, to teach. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like cliche at this point. Right. You know, (laughs) and it was at that point too. Like it was like a go find yourself in Asia or whatever, you know, go live there for a year, have fun and then move home and get on with your life. Wow. And that turned into 12, uh, 12 years. Yeah. I'm just now getting to that that next step <laughs> and I'm 30, 34. You found yourself. <laughs> you found yourself in those 12 I'm, years. I mean, maybe. <laughs> so, okay. So, but take me back to the very, very beginning, man, because like, okay. Cause you're, you were born in the States, right? Yeah. I was born in California. I'm um, Sacramento. No and, way. I was born in Frisco, um, man. I was, I was just, uh, oh, you were? just South of you, man. Yeah. I spent some time in, uh, Oh man, I lived in like Tracy, Modesto. Uh, used oh, to go yeah. up to Sacktown once in a while. I'd go see my uh, I, I, my brother played in a punk rock band and toured all over the place. So he would go to. I remember seeing the Gooey Gooies, uh, Chicks Dig It, and uh, dude, I know Chicks Dig It. Do you really? Yeah, man, I was in punk rock bands and ska bands in high school all growing up. Oh my god, so, that's Groovy Ghoulies. I see. I used to see those guys. Yeah, they actually pickles. played in Sacramento with the Groovy Ghoulies. They opened for the Groovy Ghoulies oh, when they amazing. were there. Yeah, that's a good band. It, it's a dynamite band, and then uh, and but when but when we were like kids, when we were like teenagers, we would go to this place called the Gilman Street Project in San Francisco. Sure, I know Gilman. Or well, actually, yeah. it's over in Berkeley or whatever, Oakland. And, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, you'd see all the bands back. It was just funny. Cause like the other day I was on like iTunes and, and, uh, I was sending my, uh, my older brother, all these like play lists. And he was like, Holy fuck. I can't believe these bands are on like Apple music, like crimp shrine and operation Ivy and, and all these like, you know, oh my gosh. punk but rock then bands. Everybody man. was there. Like green day was there. For a yeah. Little Rancid. Rancid was uh, yeah, no just effects. the beginning. Yeah. Go up and play there. That's crazy. Yeah, man. That place- yeah, so same thing, man. I grew up. I was playing in punk band in the mid late nine mid nineties. I would say right in Cal in the holy North shit, North. small yeah. world, man. Small world. That's crazy. Yeah. That's then, crazy. So okay, yeah. so so you grew up in Sacktown, and then like when did when did comedy start hitting for you? Like, were you always interested in that, or, or was it more of a thing like when you were? Dude, I loved it. Yeah, you, I mean, my number one favorite comedian of all time since I was a kid is uh, Norm Macdonald. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's just always been, like I saw Norm do the news on Saturday Night Live. When right. I was probably twelve or thirteen or however old I was when he started. You sure. Know? And it was mind blowing because he was saying he was so honest but hilarious. You know? Right. Like he was when everything else you see on TV is just fake, and then what he's saying is real. It's genuine. You right. Know? Right. Um, and that was. I, I don't even know how much I was aware of like stand up before that, or even if you were watching stand up, it was like a night at Caroline's comedy hour or right. something. And right. the guy would be on for seven minutes and he'd be like, so I had a weird week uh, yesterday. I was in the hospital. And then the day before that I was at the bank and then I was, at the, and it was all, it was equally as false. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. And it's like, there's no way all that stuff happened to you this week. Right. <laughs> and, uh, right. <laughs> Even as like a 10 year old, I could tell that. And so then, <laughs> but then Norm goes on the news and he's like, okay. Um, and now the fake news. Right. right. And then he just starts in the news. And I was like, this is genius. And then I started watching his stand up and then I, uh, dirty work and all that stuff. Right. And um, so I just love Norm, but I never, so I'd always been interested in stand up, but I never really thought about doing it. I mean, that was really far down the line. I moved to China. Um, yeah. I started a company there and then, I really, the stand-up thing didn't start for me until like 2009. Um, I just started an open mic in China. Wow, this is like a very fascinating and, thing because I, I mean, obviously, I, I work with a hell of a lot of comedians. I, I'm I'm an agent and a, and a talent manager and stuff like that here in Canada. So we oh, get right. you know like there's obviously with Yuck Yucks. I mean, there's there's a, you know hundreds of rostered comics and everybody's vying to try to go overseas everyone is like these coveted spots that you only hear about um but it is a very interesting market to kind of break into so for you to kind of go over there uh was was comedy even a thing at that time i mean like i know obviously like you know comedy is is available in you know any country any world but but it but it didn't have that type of organized feeling to like a comedy club or a, a comedy place i mean when you open up that open mic was that like a groundbreaking thing there or was that something that other bars were putting on no it was literally the first open mic in mainland china wow that is um, crazy it was yeah, we didn't really know. I mean, I guess I kind of knew, but we didn't think about it. You know, you right. don't think of it as you just think like I'm starting a, a open mic in my town, and then right. it just happens to be there's no, nothing else in this whole country that does that. But you don't <laughs> think of it that way. But you know, you're just like, hey, let's have fun. Right. And basically, I had a friend who's also from California who opened a bar. I was living in a city called Suzhou, which is right next to Shanghai. Right. Um, and my friend opened a bar and. My another friend and I went to hang out at the bar probably the first week he was open and we were there late one night and we were pretty hammered and uh, we were talking about how much we love stand up and just talking about stand up. We're like, man, we should do stand up. We should do it. And um, my friend was, oh, and I'd previously been looking it up over the past month or so to see, or a couple months to see if there's anything I could do in China. Right. Stand up already happening that I could latch on to. Sure. I mean, was, and there was nothing. I couldn't find anything anywhere except Every once in a while, some guy would fly these comedians over from like England, right. British comedians, and they would just kind of shit on Chinese people. Right. Like, it was they, it would be for like the old British expats, like the colonialists. Gotcha. You know? They'd be like, gotcha. oh, aren't the locals so stupid? <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and all these old asshole British fat guys would like, yeah, they are stupid. Oh, no, but I run the company that they all work for me. You know. <laughs> all these managers of factories and I went to it once to watch and it was kind of like disgusting, you know, that bad. Um, wow. Yeah. And 
and uh, no self-awareness of the, and all the comics they were bringing over. It, it was like the older British comedian. Sure. Like who, I don't know. It just had this whole, it, it didn't feel good. Right. Um, right. So we started, so my friend, so the bar owner said like, Hey, I, he overheard us talking and he's like, you guys like kind of, you guys should do an open mic. You should start a show. And he, and we're like, yeah, let's start a show. And he's like, well, I'll build you a stage. If you want to do a show here, I'll put a stage in. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, we were completely wasted. And then uh, the next morning I woke up and he's calling me and he's like, hey, man, the stage is going in right now. You guys are on two weeks. (laughs) We're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, man, that is crazy. And uh, yeah, so we just put a show on. I convinced I had two other roommates. I convinced them both. They had to do it with me because imagine I mean, it was the worst show of all time. Like. (laughs) Imagine four people who no one's ever done stand-up comedy before. <laughs> right. You right. know? But here's the thing. It was packed because no one had ever done stand-up comedy before. So everybody and came out to meaning, watch. Meaning, like, the audience, most of the audience had never seen it before. So they were just curious, like, what, what's even, what are you guys going to do? Right, right. Um, now, 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 was this so, bar, like, was this bar geared towards expats? Was it geared towards locals? Like, what, what was the demographic like in this place? It was expats. It's mostly expats. So that audience was, I would say, like 80% expat or so. Right. English speaking, you know. Um, but it was tiny. I mean, it was like, it was 50 people packed. Right. And that included, it wasn't like a back room. You know, right. that was the bar. Right, right. Um, you walk in this little hallway and then it opens up into this little bar. So, uh, but the bar owner was stoked because we just brought, we just packed his room for the night. Sure. You know? Yeah. He sold a ton of drinks. So the first year we, st- we just started doing that once a month, a month. And then, um, after that we went into once a week and then, um, it just kind of took off from there. Andy, uh, Curtin, who I think has been on your podcast before. Yep. He, about a year after when we started the once a week, about a year in, he, Unbeknownst to me, he started a comedy, same thing, an open mic in Shanghai, which was the next town over. It's about 30 minutes on the train or an hour drive away. And um, he started an open mic there. Then we met up and started working together. And then it just kind of took off from there once we started kind of joining forces. That's incredible, man. That that is. And uh, like, yeah, we started this Kung Fu comedy club in Shanghai. And then. and about 2012, so we started flying comedians over from the U.S. and Canada to uh, headline our tours. Right, right. And so, and, and for um, people had, that don't that don't understand the the layout, I, kind of for like yeah. the, the, like from what I gathered talking to Andy, uh, it, it it was it was more of a like you would bring a comic over and then you guys would kind of like hit a multitude of places over the course of like a week or, or a couple of weeks or, or however long the tour was. But at this point in time, did you have different places set up or were you all just kind of running it out of the one spot? So for the first tour, that that's, that's correct, by the way. So for the first tour we had, I had Sujo and Andy had Shanghai. So mm-hmm. we really only did those two cities and we did three, sh- three or four shows, right. three shows, I think. Okay. I think we did one night in Suzhou, like a Thursday in Suzhou, Friday in Shanghai, Saturday in Shanghai. Gotcha. And then once we got that base, we built up, um, what's crazy is that the 
part of the country Andy and I lived in, this little East Coast, the East Coast kind of like this little circle area of, of China, um, it's the size of the state of New York, and there's 100 million people in it. Good God. It's the most densely populated area on Earth. That is overwhelming. Yeah, and so there are, in the area the size of the state of New York, um, six major cities. Right. Six cities with over 8 million people. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. That's yeah. crazy. I can't even think and, about like the, the, the amount of people. Like, I mean, I think people have a hard time. Even like when you're a tourist and you go to some of these places, I mean, even New York seems like an overwhelming place. I mean, you know, with that many yeah. people. So I can only imagine this is like people living on top of people. Like, this is crazy. Is that, like, it, is. Yeah. it is. I mean, it literally is. They have these apartment complexes go like 50 stories high. Wow. And they'll be maybe tw- 10 or 20 buildings in the complex. Holy you know? shit. So it's pretty pretty normal to have like ten thousand people living in your apartment complex. It's <laughs> <That is> crazy <laughs> shit. And and and, and just so, so like I know I know we can go down the rabbit hole here, but but just so yeah. just so people have a good idea, like what is the what is the climate like there as far as like I know obviously politically you know China is a very interesting place to live, but. Like when you yeah. were there, I mean, obviously you're you're there in a different role when you're teaching English and and you're you know you're you're kind of going about this. Did that did that climate change at all when you kind of became somebody in the in the comedy world? Is I mean, was 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 opening up your own place and opening up your own business? What were those things difficult to do? Being like an outsider. Uh, yes. So, well, actually, a whole different thing that the another side to my story is. My main, this was kind of my side business, the comedy thing. My main business was I was, um, I started the first ice cream truck, uh, company in China. Right, right. Which was the, um, the Mr. Softy thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's a New York City brand it's called Mr. Softy. So we took Mr. Softy over to China. Wow. And that took about, I think, eight months, uh, to get our business license just from a practical standpoint oh, of all the paperwork shit. you have to fill out and all that kind of stuff. Because we opened it as a foreign-owned company. Right. So you foreigners can own businesses in China. A lot of people think you can't or you have to have a 50-50 partnership. That's not true at all. Mm-hmm. You can own a business. It's just way more paperwork. Um, you agree. You sign up to get audited every single year. Wow. You're watched very closely by the Chinese government. Um, whereas if you wanted to – if a Chinese person just wanted to open a business, it would take like a day or a week. Right, you know? right. So if you're a foreigner, it takes about eight, six to ten months um, to set up. So yeah, so it's it's you're playing in a completely uh, different kind of field, you know. You're sure. being it's yeah, you're being watched very closely. So, um, which by the way, if we were to do that in America, that would be or in Canada. I mean, like that's the epitome of racism. <laughs> <laughs> It's a textbook. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a foreigner? No, no, no. You can't you're yeah. gonna get audited every year. Every yeah, we're gonna go through your shit with a fine tooth comb every single year. And, exactly. and yeah, just keep And the, everyone's uh, just like, no, 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 that's how it works. That's it's normal. They're not that's... from here. So that's what we do to them. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say every other country that would be completely uh unacceptable. But uh yeah. wow, man, that is that, that is crazy. So so 
Oh man, I, that's uh, oh, wow. So okay, so so you've got you. So like, did this business take? I mean, what what kind of took off first for you though? Because I know obviously Kung Fu Comedy now. I mean, that's a huge brand over there. Uh, there's a lot of people yeah. vying to come over. There's a lot of people trying to get on your guys' show over there. And and you yeah. know, obviously you've got a lot of you know you you've got a lot of stuff going on. You're, you're getting the the you know the Mr. Softy business off the ground and all this type of stuff. Was it was it you know like. I mean, obviously, comedy for you at the beginning was, it seemed like it was kind of just like a labor of uh, love. It was something that you were just doing out of a passion exactly. and, and just kind of like a side thing. Um, when did you realize that things could really start taking off for you? Is that like when you guys opened up the first, like the first club? You know what? For me, it was, um, so the, I had started the Mr. Sofia thing previous to starting comedy. So gotcha. I started that in about 2006. Right. And started the comedy in like 2009 and it's all kind of like a year lag, you know, sure. So it really started going in 2007. The comedy started going in 2010 or 11. I found comedy was going to work. Kung Fu comedy was going to work when, uh, uh, when we did our first tour and it was funny because Andy and I had the opposite reactions to the first tour. Right. Um, <laughs> because the first tour to me, it broke even. And being someone who had been doing business for a few years, if you can break even on your first investment, that's amazing. That's right. success. Right. To Andy, it was fail. Andy was hoping it would be we just like make a lot of money, right? Sure. And so he was about to quit. He was like, "Oh my gosh, this is off. Like, why are we doing? You know, right? We're, we're not making any money. Why are we doing this?" And I'm sure. like, in my head, I'm like, "We're not losing any money. This is right. great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're staying afloat." So, I think. He and I would have very different answers to this question. Sure. I saw it um, the first time we had our tour and we broke even. I was like, this is, this is, because we, you know, the first time you do any business, your marketing is not really up to date, your brand awareness, no one knows who you are. Right. And new. everyone by buying a ticket is taking a chance because they don't know if it's going to be funny or not. They've sure. probably never heard of the comic you're flying over, even if it is someone from, this guy's from LA and he's really good. Right. Um, and then once they become comfortable. So then, even from that first tour, I kind of knew it was going to, it was going well. Right. And it was just a matter of then building it out, collecting, like doing it old fashioned, you know, getting email addresses at every show, email, building a list, building a fan base. Um, and did it just kind of steadily grew. I mean, we had, uh, Glenn Wool came over Canadian. I'm trying to think Canadian. We had Pete Johansson came over. Glenn yeah. Wool came over. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now, yeah, we have like six cities we do tours. In. So when we do a tour now, we'll hit five or six different cities around China. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, but ultimately, we were doing it to so we could so we could get stage time right. with good comedians. Sure. You know, um, because after about two years of just putting on our own shows in town and doing it with all the local guys we all started with, we kind of were looking for something more. We needed to learn from somebody. Like there was no senior comedians in our scene. Right. right. Nobody to really mentor you through the process of, of, of becoming a stand-up comic. Yeah. No one to sit in the back of the room and watch where right. you'd be like, Oh, so that's what you do when a heckler yells at you, or that's sure. what you do, you know, when you forget a line, how you move through it or whatever. Right. Um, so that was the initial thing. And so to me, it was like, if we can get this stage time and go open and tour with these guys, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Surround yourself with some greatness, man. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And then it, it kind of worked out. 
What was the response like? Uh, and, and obviously, it, it, it didn't end up becoming all expats as clientele and even as comics. Yeah. You guys eventually you know, got into more of the local scene. You guys started developing local comedians. When did all that start yeah. happening? And, and, and what was that transition like? Because I know, uh, you know just even through some of my conversations with, uh, with uh, Andy, that, that, that this was something new to them as well of, of having to formulate. And I've talked to other comedians. I know I had Martha Chavez on the show that, that even in, in you know, countries down in South America, the idea of comedy is something completely different from what we're used to in North America or, or even in, in Europe or Australia. Like it, it seemed like like comedy was a place to have a free voice and in, in a in a in a gathering of people and and uh you know and oftentimes a large gathering of people where ideas were exchanged and, and people were vocal and, and opinionated about certain aspects of community and life and stuff like that. Were 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 the locals there pretty and, and by like by locals I mean like some of the like the, the Chinese population, were they hesitant to get involved in, in, in comedy or or did they did they look at what you guys were doing and, and were like, wow, we want to get we want to get in on this stuff? Um, well, it was, uh, just a quick, quick story that happened to me two nights ago here sure. in New York, just to, uh, illustrate your point. A, the idea that our idea of comedy could be a little different from other countries. There was a French guy in the audience right. at the show I was doing in New York and the host goes up and she's like, you know, emceeing the show and doing jokes and everything. And he's sitting there for like three minutes and then he yells at her. He's like, sing a song. <laughs> and she, she's like, what? And he's like, this is not funny. Why don't you sing a funny song? It's <laughs> like, this is not comedy. Sing, sing. So you can only imagine like what his experience has been like, like some vaudeville like yeah, burlesque no, show in France or something. I'm like, holy shit. Oh, man. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's but it is. You have a lot of it in countries. It's like a co- comedian is like a guy in a clown suit who bonks himself over the head. Right. You know? Um. And it was kind of the same in China. It was physical, physical comedy or um, puns and like idioms and stuff. So what we started doing, like this talking about yourself personally, was very foreign to Chinese people. And the, it, it basically just took for us, the culture changed in China, I would say, with young people, I would say around the 2010, 12, 13 time when a lot of people had in 2006 or seven had gone to the West right. to go to college. Sure. And then when those people started, those Chinese people started moving back to China, they started coming to our shows. Gotcha. So they were a bit more yeah. Westernized they and, were, and kind of un- understood where things were going. Yeah. And they were familiar and they spoke English and um, they were familiar with the culture. And so then when they started coming, the biggest hurdle we had to overcome was people think that their language skills are not good enough to enjoy the show. Right, right. And it's actually really not true. Um, a lot of people can understand better. A lot of Chinese people can understand English better than they can speak. Also, when if you go watch a comedy show, a lot of it is about people are talking to the audience. So it's stuff that's happening right in front of you. Sure. So the topic's really familiar because it's, that's easier to understand in a foreign language as well when it's right there, Sure, you know, as opposed to some abstract concept. Um, and so people would come out of our shows. The first like few Chinese people started coming, you would notice they would come out of our shows and they'd immediately want to tell you how much they understood in a percentage. They'd be like, I understood 57%. Of <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> 
And they'd be happy with that. They'd be like, yeah, that's great. You know, I wow. thought I was going to understand zero. And, I and so then it really just took word of mouth of them going and telling their friends, like, yeah, don't worry about it. You will be able to understand. Right. You know? Right. And um, so then we kind of slowly built up to that. And then we have, we started getting some Chinese comedians. Um, also, it's a hundred percent. It was people who lived abroad and then came back and started doing our open mics. Right. Um, a guy, Storm Shoe, was living in Australia. And when he came back, um, other people who lived in the United States and come back and Canada. And so then when they started doing it, performing, they, Chinese people were attracted to that because it's, because also one, they were easier to understand right. in English for Chinese people. Sure. Um, and then secondly, they're, it's something they can connect with. They're talking about an experience that they also, you know, have. Right. And then the final thing to getting Chinese people involved was uh, Storm Shu, who who's one of the best comedians at the club now in Shanghai. Right. Um, he's kind of Melbourne com- comedy festival and done a show down there and in Australia. And he started doing this. Um, he and Andy started doing Chinese shows, Chinese open mics a couple of years ago. And that has turned into shows. And now it's two shows a week that are sold out for like the next three months. Holy shit. That's um, crazy. It's just, and that's bigger than the English scene now in wow. China. Um, and it was all just storm doing it in English and being like, okay, well, I think I can do this in Chinese. And Andy was doing it. Andy still does it in Chinese sometimes. And then that just gave other people confidence to start doing it. And now Lauren Michael from uh, the Canadian from Saturday Night Live has gone over and started Saturday Night Live China and has hired a bunch of comedians to perform in our club to be the first cast. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. Holy shit. It's pretty cool. And, 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 I, and just for the listeners out there, I, I, I really encourage anybody you can to go to KungFuComedy.com and just read Storm's bio because I think that's one of the best bios I think I've ever read before. Uh, oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> he's, hilarious. Yeah, and it's just like it's almost you can almost read it in his voice, but it, it essentially is like I started my comedy career all the way back in 2012. The initial motive was to insult my ex girlfriend, and like, <laughs> it's just dynamite because it's true. like yeah, he's like I'm really self conscious about my looks. Last year, I spent thousands on dental care and I bought an iPhone 6s <laughs> yesterday. It's just dynamite, That's man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, you've got. You know, you've got such a great, you know, plethora of people over there that you guys can develop and, 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 you know, obviously, but, but aside from that, I mean, it wasn't just local people. You guys have had some serious talent over there. You mentioned the name Pete, uh, Johansson, uh, uh, Ari yep. Shafir, Steve, Steve Simone, Jimmy Schubert. I mean, you guys have had some, you guys have had some yep. killers over there. Yeah, it's, we've been lucky. What we, we, it really just, we started with a couple guys that we knew and then they um, went home and told their friends, a couple comics and then they went home and told their friends and then those guys went home and told their friends. And we got, so we got this guy, Butch Bradley. He came back, he was friends with Jimmy Schubert. He got us Jimmy. Jimmy came back, got us Dennis Regan, who's right. uh, Brian Regan's brother. Right. Um, and uh, Pete, I don't even know how we know Pete Johansson, Glenn Wall, I think, had done a tour with our friends in Korea and then they connected us with him. So we rarely go through agents. It's usually, and now it's to the point where, you know, people are contacting us and it's, it's, it's rolling. But, um, at first it was just guys who really kind of wanted the adventure. Ari Shafir completely. He was, uh, Jimmy Schubert has the same agent as Ari Shafir. So that we connected through that. 
And Ari was just, and Jimmy, every, they're just like, yeah, what, I want a crazy trip to China. You know, let's do this. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, did, did, did they find that like, I mean, someone like Ari and I mean, like even Steve, I mean, I've, I've hung out with Steve. His comedy is so witty and he's such a great raconteur. Like he can tell stories. He's amazing. He's one of my favorite comedians. Him, Me too. He's one of my yeah. favorite out there. Amazing. Amazing guy. Like, did they find that their comedy resonated in, in all those places? Like, did, did they have to change around a lot of their material or, or did they just kind of come in and, and they connect with the crowd and, and, and it was business as usual? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't think they really had to change. I think that when you find these high level comedians like those guys, they're, they're talking to people at a human level. And so that resonates with all humans. Like they're not relying on references. You don't really have to understand um, what a Outback Steakhouse is or something, you know? To understand the joke. Right. I mean, if, and if they are doing references, like Jimmy does a uh, Starbucks, like, okay, well, Starbucks is everywhere. Right. You know, right. Steve Simone talks about professional wrestling. Even in China, they've watched, they have professional wrestling. They understand the concept. You wow. Know? And, and the audiences, our audiences are really from all over the world. So yeah, it's like 25% Chinese, but then you get French, you get um, all different types of European, you get, you know, German, Russian, um, and then some people from South Africa, from Australia, from the UK. Wow, everywhere. man. That's so insane. It, it's pretty cool to watch stuff like that. And Steve Simone, I think, works as one of the best we bring because he his whole act is about being a kid. Right. right. About your childhood. Right. And everyone, no matter where you're from, it's, you have, you've had a brother or a sister or whatever. Sure. You know, your childhood. Right. And everybody's seen like Wonka. So, I mean, like everybody's seen some of his bits, like as far as like, you know, Charlie, you know, the chocolate factory yeah. or whatever. Like, I mean, that's, that resonates internationally. I think people have, you know, can get on board with exactly. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So, wow. um, yeah, no one really, uh, Tom Rhodes is the guy we bring out. I don't know if he does Canada. I would assume he kind of, I know the name Tom, for sure. But, uh, yeah. He's, he can do everywhere too. So it's, but we do have to pick when we pick comedians, we, we, our vetting process is mostly based on if we think they can work internationally. Right. Um, cause some people are great, but, and they're on TV and they're well known out here and everything. But, um, if it's a lot of like specific references, we usually just can't do it. Right. Right. Wow. Um, Cause even stuff like I'm trying to think of even stuff like apps, like Tinder, like you can't do, I don't know how much they really that's used out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, which is like, a, you see that at like every comedy club, right? Somebody right? doing like a Tinder joke or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of a different world, but with the good ones, they can, they can do it. That's, that's incredible, man. I'm looking at some of the pictures and, and I love going through these because it's such a mix of a crowd where you can see, some of those people look exactly like the fat asshole English people that, that you were probably referring to earlier. And then some of that crowd is, is, you know, obviously uh, some of the Asian population there and you've got, it looks, it's just such a, such a unique 
and and different crowd that it just it, it it looks like an absolute killer place to be. It looks like it's a fun place. What was your experience there like, though, man? I mean, just as a citizen, as somebody who was operating there. I mean, who's someone who wasn't just coming in and out for comedy shows, you know, do your thing and then go home. Uh, I mean, obviously, you you over the 12, 12, 12 year period. I mean, you ended up getting married, and and you you know, I mean, yeah. like you 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 really you grew some roots there. Totally. Yeah. Um, uh, one, sorry, one last, I keep changing the topic. One last thing on the crowd you mentioned. Sure. We have like literally everybody comes to our shows. I remember one show where it's, it's a comedy club, you know, if you look at the pictures and the guy we had, I guess this guy was like, he's a Nigerian guy and he was the drug like kingpin <laughs> of Shanghai from right. what we had heard. Right? Right, right. He comes to our show sits in the front row order. And somebody's like, Hey, do you want something to drink? He's like, yeah, I'll have a bottle of champagne. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't sell champagne. Right. Right. (laughs) But they found like the bar upstairs. did. They went up there, got one and brought it down to it. It was hilarious. Wow. Um, And he loved it. You know, afterwards, like you guys are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But you get everybody. Yeah. Oh, I Um, bet man. So, 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 so the comedians are the same way. Yeah. 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 Comedians are from all over the world. But um, my experience, I, I, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I always said, like, when it was time to go, I would know, and, you know, we'd go. Right. Um, but uh, it was, yeah, I moved there when I was 22 years old. And so my entire 20s, essentially, you kind of grow up in, in China, you know, and in this crazy expat mm-hmm. world. And your friends are from Egypt and France and Germany and everywhere, you know? Right. And so you really learn a lot, can you really learn a lot about the world and sure. other people. And, um, and then you're also kind of, you feel like this, it's almost like a lost boys. Like, I mean, you know, like syndrome where you feel like the, like the misfits, almost like you're the crazy people from your country who went and did this insane thing. Right. Right. And that's kind of how everybody bonds over that, over how different your life is sure. <laughs> your, yeah. you know, your decisions are even good or bad. Right. Right. And, um, it was really cool to watch kind of China grow as a group. So when I got there, everybody thought it was nuts. Everybody I grew up with in California or, or thought it was crazy. Why would you move to China? There's nothing right. happening there. This is 2004. And like, it just seemed like if you, if I was now to say like, um, I, I don't know what country, Cambodia or something. Or right. Whatever. Right. Um, and then around 2008, 2009, I would come home every year and see family. Around 2007, I started my business. 2008 or nine, they had the 2008 they had the Olympics in China. Right. Immediately after the Olympics, when I would come home, people would be like, "Oh, you're a genius. You moved to China. Oh, so smart. <laughs> you know, that's a growing country." Right. <laughs> and previous to that, I remember one of my dad's friends asking me in like 2005. He was like, "So, what do you?" Uh, how do you call home? How do you connect with your parents when you live in China? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. They have phones. <laughs> and he's like, Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but they have internet. I'm like, yeah, they have, <laughs> they have everything. <laughs> it is such a foreign concept. I mean, even I've got friends there. I think we even have a mutual friend, uh, Carl, who who uh, actually yeah. put yeah, who put me onto you guys. But uh, but uh, I've, I've I've had. I mean, recently. I mean, even in even over here, 
I mean, I remember friends and, and, and you know, people going, oh, I'm going to go to China to teach or I'm going to go to this school in, in England. And then they they teach you how to teach kind of thing. And then they ship you off to wherever yep, you want to go. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, like so, it's like the ideas were there. And like, I remember thinking about like, this would be just a great thing. Like, like I always kind of envisioned like, okay, like if I got dumped by a chick or something, like, this would be like the greatest thing just to kind of sign up and just leave. And, sure. and you know what I mean? Just kind of go disappear and, and kind of reinvent yourself wherever you want to go. But but I, I think like when it comes down to crunch time, there's probably a hell of a lot of hesitation, especially like you said, I mean, there's a lot of ignorance worldwide about, you know, what happens in other countries. And I think that that goes back to a lot of people not having a lot of education or knowledge around what goes on over there. So so when it so when someone says like, oh, I'm going to move here or I'm going to move there, it's such a foreign you know, it's like people get these wild ideas. Like, do you have to shit in a coffee can? Like, do they have bathrooms? Is it plumbing over there? Like, what? Yeah. You know, it's like they always think of these third world. But it's like there's this other side to it that it's like one of the most brilliant, you know, some of the most brilliant people are in China. Some of the most greatest minds sure. are in China. Some of the most greatest innovation and, 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 you know, even stuff like manufacturing and stuff. Like, we are so close embedded with that country that I don't think people really even have a grasp today of, of, of what it's like over there. Sure. And yeah, and that's the thing. The people are fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, the people are great. They're so like, welcoming, you know, and warm. And um, I mean, obviously there's assholes everywhere. Sure. And you're going to meet people who cheat you in business and all that kind of stuff, whatever, don't treat you well. But um, once you get into like a community, it's, it's really, it's great. You know, right. really welcoming. I mean, and the reason why a lot of people will move there for a year, what's cool. Like when I was 22, you go over there, you teach English and over the course of, if you teach English for a year, you're either going to have, if your kid, your students are kids and you're going to meet all their parents and their parents are going to say, come for the first time. You know, come over for dinner. You don't know anyone in this country. Come right. be our, you know, be our guests. Sure. Come hang out. If you teach adults, they're going to want to, like, after this, let's go to a bar. Let's go have a drink. Like, they want to get to know you. And then the reason why people stay so long is because half of them, those people end up offering you a job at some point. Sure. You know? Oh, well, why don't you come work with me? We need uh, someone to speak to our foreign clients. Or right. Something, you know? right. And I don't know how much of that still happens because it's a little kind of settled. It's a little more settled now. But sure. from that kind of in the, 2000, the early 2000s, it was such like a wild west. Money was just flying in from everywhere and jobs were popping up. And so they were just looking to, and they wanted to connect with foreign, the foreign world, right. you know? And so it was kind of like, it's crazy fun thing to do. You're getting all these opportunities at a really young age that you would never get right. over here at that age. Right. Right. That's, that's crazy. So, um, yeah, it was kind of the right time. I think it was the right time to do it. Wow. And man. it was, I mean, it's still, still fun. The, yeah, absolutely, man. What an experience. Yeah. So, so let's, but before we quickly move into what, what, what eventually got you to New York, um, what, yeah. uh, let, let's, let, let's talk a bit about the business aspect of, of, uh, of the, the Mr. Softy. I mean, that's a huge name, obviously stateside. Um, when you started yeah. that business over there, you, I mean, you finally got it off the ground. Was, was it a huge hit? It was, yeah. It was one of those things that like, was immediately we knew it was immediately successful. Right. Yeah. Which was great. Um, it took a while to set up because it took, like I said, eight months to get the business license. Uh, at the time we were waiting for the license, I had to go around and meet with, we, cause it had never, the idea of an ice cream, a mobile ice cream truck was completely foreign. Mm -hmm. 
so there were no laws to regulate what we were trying to do. Right. Um, which meant that we had to help the government, the local government create laws to regulate us. Wow. You know? Um, so that's, we, so we came up with this plan with them to have a mobile vending license. And then that meant we could park in certain spots around the city and all sure. that stuff, you know? Right. And so I, I had to go and meet with them, give them a presentation, show them a video, essentially prove that my goal was not just to take this truck and run over kids. Right. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so they kind of like, has, they, they agreed like sort of hesitant in the city I live in and, but they did agree. And then, so we put the first truck on the road and the first day, the first truck was on the road there. We parked next to this lake and there was, um, we didn't get out to till like five at night. And then from 5 PM to 10 PM, there was a constant uh, nonstop line on wow. uh, coming out of both sides of the window, like both windows the entire time. Wow. So you were like, so, I'm back. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> you're like, I'm, I'm in. at the gold yeah, mine yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in 2007 and I was like, I was like, Hey, where do I, you know, where do I retire? <laughs> this is it. This is it. Um, and so it was just immediately a hit. Yeah. And then we got based off of, we did that with one year and then we got more based off that first year, put a plan together and got investment and we built out, we eventually built up to 10 trucks. Holy shit, um, throughout man. the region. And <clears throat> it was great. It was to the point where it was too great, which <laughs> what happened was once we started doing really well, um, people started copying us who basically people would work for us, steal from us. We'd fire them. And then they would open a truck that looked just like our truck parked right next to our truck. Right. Right. And, um, <laughs> we eventually found out that those people were all funded by government officials. No way. Which is yeah. essentially, I mean, so, like if, if, if people really think about this and if you, you know, there's a certain amount of like, uh, of, of allowance of, of, of almost like a, you know, have to explain this thing in layman terms to a lot of people, but I don't think people are aware of how much of this type of, of, I don't even know if the word espionage is the right type of a thing, but, but it, it, it's, it's almost like going and seeing a successful idea, a business idea take off in the United States or in Canada or where I think the majority of it they've realized has been in, in the, in the United States, but, but there, I mean, there is massive amounts of corporate espionage and, and business espionage that happens where someone has a great idea uh, the government will tap into that idea if they see it as a profitable thing and a successful thing. They'll take it as their own, and they will just rebuild the brand as something else or whatever it is. Yep. And, and that is yeah. such a that's such a, a thing that happens. I mean, people have no idea just the day to day. Anybody that watches stuff like sixty minutes or 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 you know jumps onto you know a show like Vice or something like that, you can see these specials where you know. Uh, companies would hire, you know, foreign workers or whatever. They'd come in, they would be working on, you know, even something like solar energy or something like that. They would take the premise, go back, develop the product, uh, kind of reverse engineer it. And, and I mean, so to speak, I mean, that's that's essentially what, what kind of happened, it sounds like, is that they kind of came in, they got the essentials down, and they went and started up their own thing, but it was all on the government's dollar. Well, yeah, it wasn't technically on the government's dollars. So what it was, it was, but it was almost worse. It was guys who worked in the government. Right. So imagine it's like your local, um, 
kind of somebody on the city board, the city council, or sure. whatever, you know, guys like that who knew that because the next step of it will make it all kind of come together. I'm going to tell you, they knew that they had the power to kind of control the area. Cause then what they did, once they got theirs all set up, um, they took away our permits and made us illegal no. as a business. Oh man. And so they literally put us out of business. Wow. Um, and so what happened is they kind of looked at what we were doing and went, Hey, that's a great idea. Why don't I just do that and make it illegal for them to do that? Right. Jesus and so what they first did was they put their friends in to work for us, learn everything we did and then start stealing from us. And then once we fired them, they're like, okay, well now you know how to do it. Right. And so they would do it. And then eventually this whole process was about a year and a half, two years. Eventually at the end, once they had it all planned out, they took away our permit. So like they eliminated us as competition from our own. Wow. Business, you know? And there's, yeah. there's really nothing. I mean, when, when you're in that type of a, of a situation, I mean, what are the, what can you do? I mean, can you push back? Can you, there's, can you appeal it? Um, can you do those we types tried of things? to do it. Yeah. We tried to go kind of above those guys mm-hmm. in the government and appeal to the people above them saying, Hey, this is happening. This isn't, you know, like, cause my whole plan, we were actually on the verge of getting them in 2013, 14, getting a much larger investment to when we had these 10 trucks doing well, we were going to expand throughout the region and go up to about a hundred stores and trucks. Mm-hmm. And the investment was ready to come in. Um, and then this started happening and it scared, cause uh, it scared off all the investment because it was foreign, foreign investors who their main concern was they're like, okay, all this looks good, but what happens in the worst case scenario, you know, it's China. You never know what happens with their government. They could do whatever they want. Sure. And then when they did, it kind of, that all, all the worst, all the worst fears kind of came true. And it was like, okay, clearly no one wanted anything to do it anymore. You know? So what I was trying to appeal to like people higher in the government saying, Hey, we have this money coming in, which will make this, district, this city, our tax date, like all the taxes, this a long term, all the tax money will come back to this city, which you, which is like what you would want as a government. You want businesses to set up and succeed in your area so that the tax revenue comes back so you can use that tax money to build out your community in any way, you know? Yeah. Um, and they just ultimately didn't care as much as they wanted their friends to have this it's weird. It's like it's a small business. If you only own a couple trucks, it's not. You're not going to make millions of dollars. You know? Wow. Um, man. So they just kind of decided they didn't care enough. And I have a friend in the government who, um, he's like in. Well, it, it doesn't matter. He's not that high up, but he's just a guy who's kind of helped us along the way. And he's always kind of been my buddy to kind of tell me into what's going on. And sure. he called me one day and he was like, Hey man, I've kind of checked it all out and they're not interested in helping you guys out. Your best move is to just close wow. and save the money you have as opposed to lose, you know, continuing on to losing. Holy um, shit, man. Yeah. So that is that was time to go. Plus then on the other hand, comedy was going much better. I was, um, I'd done really well in this festival in Hong Kong a couple years in a row. And based off of that, I was headlining around Asia, going all around Asia, touring and headlining. And so I just kind of felt like it was the time to move back. Right. And focus on North America, you know? Wow, man. 
What an incredible story about that. Like, was it, did, and, and just to kind of go back on that for a second, uh, yeah. the, the competitors or the people that were starting to sprout up, uh, were they just using other names? Were they just, just kind of coming up with other business names, but the exact same type of product? Like, were, were they, were they going after the yeah. same type of ice cream, like the whole nine yards? It, yeah, it was, they were using the same, um, the same suppliers we had used. Wow. They got a whole supply chain. Um, they built their trucks like they they're you know cheaper versions right. of our trucks with worse products and stuff. But um, they the trucks from the outside uh, cosmetically looked like our truck. It was the same color scheme as our truck, the same logo but a different name. So imagine oh. like a Starbucks logo, but it says like. Whatever, something else in there. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the rest of it was all the same. Yeah, my brother went and, to Bali, and I think he said that he went to this like kind of like this mall, and there was like a Starbucks on one side, and then there was this other place that looked like he said like you literally had to walk up to the sign like five feet from it to tell it wasn't a Starbucks, but it looked exactly like a Starbucks, but like they had like exactly. zero product, they had like two or three things <laughs> items available, but it was just this this coffee shop that was just like the standalone. And he was just like, what the fuck is going like, this isn't a Starbucks. Yeah. Like what the, but it's clearly a good, you know, example of, of, you know, obviously something exactly like, uh, you know, like, like that. I mean, somebody's just kind of taken this business model and started running with it. And, and uh, yeah. And even with us, we had like the softy smoothie, the softy blast, which is like a blizzard. You know? Right. Right. And, uh, they would have the same name. You'd go up to the truck. It would say Softy Smoothie, Softy <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, it would be exact. It was literally an exact copy yeah. of everything. And, uh, yeah, I, it's weird. They just didn't. It, see, if that was me, if I always thought that if I was the one doing that, if I was just going to steal a whole business from somebody else, I would have, I would at least want to come up with my own, like, logo and color scheme. Exactly. Exactly. But, I don't know. I guess these guys just, it's, I, I can't connect to it. I don't. Right. Um, right. I would have some pride in saying, Oh no, no, no. Even if I'm lying, I'd be like, no, I came up with all this. This is all mine. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that didn't seem to exist. So, uh, so, so, at, yeah. so at this point you decide to go back to the States, uh, uh, Andy decides yeah. to, to hang tight. Um, yeah. And so, and so he's there continuing the, con so is, are, are you completely absolved of that now? Is he running the whole thing or do you, do you still, you guys work together still at all? Or, or is this all kind of behind we the do scenes? Still work type? Together. Yeah. He, I mean, he runs it. We, we kind of said from the beginning, um, it's such a labor intensive job. So, because when Andy and I ran it, I mean, we would sell all, we, did the you know he he did the website but we did all the promotion right we, when the comedians would come in we'd almost act like like managers we'd get them interviews in local magazines and stuff mm -hmm. and then we'd promote all the shows we'd sell all the tickets we'd sometimes work the door we would MC the shows so we were doing everything right you know? right um so so labor intensive that we always said that if it ever you kind of have to be here for you to really be involved you right. know right um Except now I still have uh, some ownership in the oh, and at some point I was doing Mr. Saki and the club. And when the full-time club really got rocking in Shanghai, right. it's now open um, dude, five nights a week with five English shows, two Chinese shows every week. So seven shows a week. 
Wow. And it has a, a bar, and it's just like a comic club you go to in Canada. Right. And, uh, and so that became a full-time job. So Andy now runs the club by himself, and then he and I still did the tours together. So once a month, we have guys like Shoot to Shoot there, Steve Simone, right. fly over. And we were, we were still partners on that. We wanted to run the tours together. And so I'm still involved in the tour business, um, and Andy's running the club. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah. So, so New York City, uh, though, like you, you, you decided yeah. to come to New York. I mean, it's not the exactly easiest market to kind of tap into. Um, did sure. you have ties here in New York or, or did you have, did you have kind of a, a soft landing? Did you, or was it just kind of like, I'm going to go to New York and, and just kind of start from the very beginning? Well, I had, um, through this years of running the, the club, I got to know a lot of agents and managers. Um, a lot of managers of these comedians also own comedy clubs. Right. Um, so the guy starts the club and manages. Yeah. And then also got to know a lot of comedians. Right. So through those contacts, I was kind of deciding between LA and New York and a good contacts, both places. I just kind of flipped almost like flipped the coin and picked New York and it's either one would be great. But, uh, I, yeah, I wanted to go to the best spot. I feel like for the next step in comedy is not to go somewhere that's easy. It's to go where the best, right. you know, where I can see from how I do against the best. And so New York, I got here. Um, I had a few contacts. Uh, but, uh, mostly it was just emailing the contacts I had, leveraging them, getting on shows and then trying to work my way into clubs, which is what I'm doing now. Right. Um, and so through Steve Simone and Ari, I got into, uh, um, a club called New York comedy club, which is the, the, the lady who books the club knows, knew about Kung Fu comedy, right. uh, through them. So that, that, the Kung Fu comedy thing also helps. Some people know of us. You meet up and go, oh, you're the Kung Fu comedy guy. Right. You know, that's big help. Um, so I'm working there. I'm working at this place called the Village Lantern in, in the East Village. And uh, I'm sorry, in Greenwich Village and um, New York, Stand Up New York is a club. So I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm doing a couple shows a night right now. And hopefully everybody tells me as it goes, it'll ramp up to four or five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a night yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah, I've, I've, we've got yeah. some, we've got some comics over there, and, and obviously a lot of people I've had on the show, I've had, uh, I'm trying to think who the New York comics have been, uh, Mark, Mark DeMeo, who was a uh, former NYPD yeah. detective, uh, great yeah. guy, hilarious guy, uh, Liz, Liz yeah. Mealy, um, Aaron okay. Berg, cool. uh, another. Uh, oh yeah, I saw him. Uh, I was on a show with him a couple nights ago. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's very, very funny. Very. Uh, yeah, just he, he he looks like he was a New Yorker. Like he kind of has got that aggro kind of like New York. Well, we use that word yeah. aggro for all the people out that don't know California language. Tough guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like that, just super <laughs> alpha, you know, type of a of of, of a thing going. And he, obviously, he's very opinionated. He's very politically uh, aware and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, very yeah. very funny character. Very very funny guy. So. Yeah, man, it's been great. I, I was lucky with that. I was lucky to meet a couple people right away right. who are now kind of giving me a lot of spots. Yeah. So um, it's not, it's, it's, a tough, it's definitely a tough place to do comedy, but it's, you get better really quickly, you know? And if right. If you keep up, then, then you're doing fine. And so I got doing that. Um, I started a podcast, actually, which is going really well, called um, Lost in America. Lost in America, yeah. Me. Now being in America after being gone for twelve years, 
and I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Yakov Smirnoff. Not only like politically and all that, <laughs> right. but I just the basics of being an American I don't totally understand. Like I had to get a like I had to get an internet. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know what. One thing that blows my mind, I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but like I wear contact lenses and I have to get a doctor's prescription sure. in America to get contact lenses, which makes like, it's not like it's medicine, you know? Right, like, right. <laughs> I don't feel like overdosing on, on vision or something. Right? Like, what, you're going to turn that into a like, bit, okay, man. You're allowed to see. Like, you're sick enough to see. <laughs> yeah. What's the harm if I buy contacts without... A doctor. <laughs> That's it, oh yeah, I know, man. It's the same. That could be a total bit too. Uh, but no, it's the same exact thing over here. Uh, uh, you know, people have to go to the doctor just to get it written out or whatever, just to say, listen, like in I China, can't you see. Just buy them at the store. They just trust that you're not going to miss abuse your eyes. <laughs> abuse your eyes. <laughs> oh man, so yeah. I, so like I would imagine I'm doing it. Yeah, the setup is completely different. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm doing it with a friend. He's lived here his whole life. He's uh, kind of, he's like the right hand. His job, he's a wife and two kids. His job is, uh, he's the right hand man to Robert De Niro. So he works for him. Wow. And uh, he also equally doesn't understand from a completely different angle. <laughs> <laughs> he's never left. So um, that's on iTunes. You guys can check it out. Yeah, definitely. We will put the link up to it, man. Uh, before I let you go, though, oh, I mean, cool. any any plans on on going back to China again, or or are, are you are you pretty yeah. happy here? Well, I'm definitely going to be going back because my my wife's family is in Suzhou, so we're going back for Chinese New Year. Right. We'll go see them, and uh, but I'll. I have really, you know, it, it, it is kind of weird to build up your whole comedy life in one area, meaning all of Asia. Right. And work your way up to headliner and be headlining for a couple of years and then just leave. Right. <laughs> right. I was going to say, that's so, like the epitome of like the, the, the exact opposite of what most people do in this business. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I want to, my goal is to go back a couple of times a year, um, and be able to tour around Asia, hang out with my family in China, and then um, come back. You know, but go back every once in a while. I'll probably stay, still be living in New York to, and the U.S. Uh, for the future, foreseeable future. Right. But uh, be able to get back and tour around Asia and stuff, for sure. Yeah, man. That's incredible. Dude. And uh, I'd love to come up to Canada now that I'm back. We would love to have you, man. You know? We would love to have you. Come out and visit us out in the western Canada part of the country, and uh, we'll take you right For across sure. the country, I'll man. I'll see I when Steve's going next, Simone or Schuber or something. Yeah, I was trying to get Steve up here for Christmas, but uh, he's a busy guy. You know, Steve, man. He's, yeah. Uh, he's working really hard at... Uh, at being the best he can be. And, and, and he's got such a great <laughs> heart though. No, it doesn't, he's got such a great heart. I love the post, you know, he does all the charity stuff for the kids and he gets so many people involved. And, and, uh, I, I just mentioned the other totally. day, he's definitely one of the, my most favorite episodes of, of the podcast. And, and we even have this like weird thing where we, uh, we realized that when I was living in Venice beach and he was living in Venice beach, that he was, I think, working at the same Gold's Gym that, and I think the same employee that Jason Patrick from um, all the movies that people probably don't realize, but we made a reference to it as the Lost Boys. But uh, Jason Patrick yeah. was just annihilating him at the front counter, uh, screaming at him about some mem membership charge or something. Not that he couldn't afford it, that motherfucker. But, but I think Steve Simone was working at the gym at the time, and I was like, I was working out, but we managed to connect. And I was just like this. 
I was like, dude, I remember being at Gold and seeing Jason Patrick flip out on this poor Gold's associate, and he was like, I think that was me. I think that was. I no think, way. Yeah, it was such a weird, you know, serendipity moment of oh like, oh my god, yeah, just very, very bizarre that uh, we had this weird connection of like. Oh, I remember that asshole. Yeah, I remember him completely going off on some Gold's, you know, staff member at the gym. And he was like, yeah, I think that was me at the front desk. And I was like, that's exactly where it happened. I was like, that holy shit. Insane. Yeah, but Steve is such <laughs> a great guy and such a great ambassador to, to you know, everything that has to do with, uh, you know, the old school of comedy and, and the way that it works. And, and uh, sure. yeah, amazing guy. But uh Hey man, it's such a it's such a great time catching up. I, I'm glad that we were able to do this, and, and again, my sincerest apologies for not for not being able to do this sooner with you. But uh, hey man, you're Me welcome too. back anytime, and, and I would really love to stay in touch and, and see if we can connect somewhere up in Canada, man, to bring you up. And, and uh, I've got people going down there all the time, and, and uh, man, I think Let's uh, do it. yeah, I, absolutely. Let's stay in touch. And uh, hey man, thanks again for coming on the show. Hey, thanks a lot. And if you, uh, I'm going to go listen to Chicks Digger right now. Yes, be sure <laughs> to do that. Yeah, my older brother, Jason Hirsch, if you Wikipedia it, he was the, the drummer for like 12 years. But they've been through a series of drummers. They're kind of like the Canadian Spinal Tap now. I think just drummers just like spontaneously yeah, yeah, combust sure. over the years. But uh, but yeah, man, check yeah. it out. And uh, I'm going to go listen to, uh, yeah, some some old school uh, San Francisco hardcore, man. I think it's, uh, I, I've got, I'm, I'm in the mood for it now. So, uh, hey, man, great. Uh, uh, great uh, catching up. Thanks again, and uh, we'll be sure to put up all the links uh, on our uh, on our podcast site, man. I appreciate it, buddy. Sounds great. Awesome. Take all care, right, man. Too. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. All right, folks, there you have it, the Turner Sparks interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. What did I tell you? Fascinating interview, great show, great guy. Check him out, Turner Sparks. Uh, he's on my Facebook, and uh, we're going to put the links up uh, at the end of the uh, on the show description as well on iTunes. Uh, thanks for following, everybody, and, and thanks for the continued support. Remember to tweet me, hashtag YYCP, and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to, uh, to go right out and say hi, and, and uh, of course, come and support all the shows that we're doing here at YuckYucks, YuckYucks.com. Hit them up on behalf of myself and the entire crew with Yuck Yucks. Mark Breslin, my executive producer, Kira Williams, our webmaster, Camille Sorovi, and, of course, uh, sorry, Camille Argue. She's going to slap me out tomorrow when she hears this. Camille Argue and her wonderful husband, Lane Argue, who lays down all the acoustic tracks. And a special shout-out to all my buddies at Yuck Yucks head office, Jess and, and, and Jeff and everybody, Tony and, and Derek and everybody who's just made my trip fantastic. And Ariel, I hope you feel better, buddy. Uh, this is Jake Hirsch signing off. I will see you next week.